Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Oh, if these walls could talk. How many times have you heard that before? Well, how would you react if I told you that the office walls of a certain U.S. ambassador were talking to spying KGB members outside the U.S. Embassy in Moscow? Now, wait a second. How could this have happened? And isn't this the sort of stuff we see on Bond films and sci-fi movies? That kind of thing doesn't really happen, right? Oh, it does. And it did all throughout the Cold War. In this instance, the absolutely brilliant technology, especially for mid-20th century standards, the obsessive preparation and impressive sneakiness is almost certainly film-worthy. And it's the topic of conversation on this episode of The Missing Chapter. In Season 2, Episode 29, Happy Birthday to Who?, I told the story behind the iconic song that has become synonymous with birthday celebrations around the world, and you've heard Phil and I wish our loved ones happy birthday on past episodes of The Missing Chapter. Now, we want to extend that on-air shout-out opportunity to you, our loyal listeners. Email us at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com, or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram and let us do the rest. Birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, what better way to celebrate life's accomplishments than with a personalized message on one of Spotify's most popular podcasts. So email us today at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or message us on social media and let's get started. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. And we look forward to adding one of your celebrations to the History Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast. You are here with Phil Schaff and Phil Horander. We hope you guys are having a good weekend. And we hope that you're having some good coffee, as we are. Uh, we're sitting down to some Wegmans chocolate cherry, courtesy of our colleague and good friend Joe DiViscani and his son Joseph. So thank you again to the DiViscanis. We're glad you guys are listening. And we're also pretty pleased that you're uh, supplying us with coffee. Yeah, that's, that's a nice a, treat, that's too. A truth right there. Just a few reminders, Phil. What do we have on tap for today? And, and what do we want to keep people you know, in tune with on how to follow us when they're not listening to us necessarily? Yeah. Um, see, Spotify, excuse me, Spotify for podcasters uh, does a great job of, of letting us know who's listening on what devices, mm -hmm. uh, on what platforms. They do a really good job of that. But one thing that really helps us uh, figure out where to um, send our podcast is it really helps us when, when people follow. So if you could follow, click subscribe, of course, follow us on social media, that helps. And you've probably also noticed that uh, some of our ads have changed as well. We're adding some birthday commercials um, so we want to remind you guys, friendly reminders, if you have any birthdays that you want highlighted uh, on an international podcast, we'd love to be those um, that vehicle for you to highlight some either anniversaries, birthdays, shout outs or anything like that. There's Absolutely. multiple ways they can do it. We love getting messages. You can go right through our website. Um, you can also go through Spotify to and, and Anchor um, to record a message for us. Yeah. And our email is the missing chapter podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us anytime and we'll get back to you. That's right. Phil, what do you got for us today? Well, I'm actually going to start by um, starting with a, a personal story. Mm -hmm. And you're involved. Ooh. A few years back, 
um, we had the lovely opportunity of visiting the Spy Museum. Oh, yes. In Washington, D.C. It's something that we've actually mentioned uh, to our classes during the Cold War. It was one of the most fascinating places uh, that I think we visited as a department. It was um, tons of history, obviously, but there's there's lots of interactive uh, items to that, including you you assume an identity as soon as you walk through the doors, mm-hmm. which I think is a great element to this because you really get to feel what it was like to be a spy uh, during the Cold War. So there's all sorts of things you can touch, you can feel. There was even that point where I was looking around my shoulder, looking over my shoulder, say I was like, "Hey, Phil, I want you, I want you to uh, check this out." And I look over and you're gone, and then all of a sudden I hear, "Phil, Phil," <laughs> and where were you? I was in the air ducts. <laughs> It's one of those museums, I think, with the collection of other museums that DC has there, tends to get lost in the shuffle. And Phil, it, it makes me realize, too, that, um, you know, kind of give you, a, a, our listeners, a preview. We're going to talk about, you know, upcoming summer places to visit. Yes. We're actually going to yes. do a top five places. And if you find yourself in DC, That's I would have to agree oh. with you. It's, it's great for older, you know, like adults. It's great for teenagers. It's great for little kids, too. Correct. And I'm sure if, if you're listening right now and you're like, wait, 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 Phil Horner was in the air ducts? Was. He was, yes. Um, they knew about it, though, because it's actually a portion of the Spy Museum where you actually get to see what it was like to be right. in an air duct. Yeah. So it's all prepared. He didn't you know, break any laws. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was interesting. I, I was like, where the heck is that voice coming from? And sure enough, uh, he eventually yeah. appeared and yeah, said, hey, you got to go through this hidden trap Super door. interactive. Amazing. And just a great, great museum. So I bring that up not to just plug the Spy Museum, but um, I remember hearing of this story. And then I got to actually witness it at the Spy Museum. And it was one of those stories, I know we've mentioned this in the past, where you have it in the back of your mind, like, hey, this is an amazing story. If we end up talking about the Cold War with the kids, this is one of those stories that adds a different, interesting element to it. And uh, I've been dying to do this story. So I, in additional research preparing for this episode, I, I learned a ton of stuff. So I, I, think, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, there is a magazine that covered extensively uh, this very issue, and it's called Coffee or Die. It's very fitting for this podcast, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to use some information from Coffee or Die, um, and there's a couple other sources that I'll mention as we go on in case anyone wants to uh, do some extra research. So let's put this in, pers- in perspective here. So World War II has just come to an end. Um, so we're, you know, a little after 1945, the Cold War is a, you know, the tension is starting to increase a little bit. So uh, a U.S. ambassador by the name of W. Averill Harriman has been given a gift, okay? So the question is, number one, what's the gift? Number two, who is it from? (laughs) The gift was a wooden hand-carved replica of the Great Seal of the United States, okay? And they called it, quote, a gift of friendship. Well, all right, that's answer to question number one. What's the answer to question number two? Who is it from? It was from the Vladimir Lenin All-Union Pioneer Organization. Of course, it's named after the you know, infamous uh, first head of the, of the Soviet Union, V.I. Lenin. And they had students give it to the ambassador to create basically like an innocence around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the group is kind of similar to what we would consider like our Boy Scouts. So it appeared to celebrate the alliance between the U.S. and the USSR. All right. Um, but it was also one of the first shots of the coming Cold War. Um, It's this beautiful wooden replica to give you a little bit of a context. Um, But you also have to realize that any sort of, quote, gift, Mm. any sort of communication even between the United States and the USSR 
just at the very beginning of the Cold War, um, you have to question. Because at this point, after World War II, the, the, the diplomatic relationship between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, I would say, is, is sketchy at best. Right, it's wary right. at best. Uh, neither side truly trusts the other. And we're always second guessing the intentions of the other side. Right. right. I would at least be skeptical, cautious. Correct. I think is maybe a good term. Um, I immediately think, you know, Trojan horse. It, right, it appears right. to be a, a beautiful gift, but is it really? Um, so anyway, Ambassador Harriman takes the gift. He accepts it. Once again, it's from students. So he's really doesn't see anything um, you know, nefarious about this. But he hangs it on a back wall in the library of the Spaso House. The Spaso House is a residence of the U.S. ambassador, which is directly in Moscow. Uh, it's also where U.S. officials held high-level meetings to discuss important U.S. policy. So, I mean, if you're thinking security-wise, this is, I mean, it's paramount. It's absolute priority. You have to be secure. But a series of clues eventually emerge showing that somehow the Russians are listening in. Okay. So according to the Crypto Museum, which once again, another fascinating website uh, that talks about not only this, but a bunch of other espionage tactics, says, quote, a British radio operator had been monitoring Russian Air Force radio traffic when all of a sudden he picked up the voice of a British air staff member loud and clear. Mm. But a survey of the embassy did not reveal any hidden microphones. So they were like, where was that coming from? Right. We, we certainly heard it. We have it recorded. We can go back and say, hey, listen, this is legitimate. Okay. And a similar thing happened to an American interceptor in 1952 when he overheard a conversation that appeared to come from the ambassador's residency, where, of course, the Spaso House. So the bells are ringing. The whistles are being blown. Hey, listen, something's going on. We think we've narrowed it down. It's got to be this Spaso House in Moscow. So a technical surveillance sweep of the residency in 1952, almost immediately following that um, intercept, finally zeroed in on this plaque on the Great Seal, this wooden seal, revealing a very, what I would consider ingenious, what they call a passive covert listening device that's inside the wooden uh, seal. So unlike most microphones or recording devices, the so-called uh, so Great Seal bug didn't have a power source. Mm. So from my technical background, I love technology. I love fiddling with it. I, I would consider myself kind of a techie guy. I don't know how this is possible. And this is technology from the 1950s. I was just going to say too, is I remind everybody what, what years we're talking about, the 1950s. So 1950s. you're talking about technology that is so futuristic. Completely. Right. And, and I think as you're laying this out, Phil, that that comparison between the Trojan horse yeah. seems to be dead on. Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree because mm -hmm. you, you also have to remember if if they're only noticing this in 1952, that means the technology for them for the USSR was developed uh, right. many years prior. Right. So you could even consider it the 1940s. And I wonder I wonder how many other objects were here to begin with already collecting information. Exactly. You know, I mean, this was this was a gift. I mean, they're, they're very easily could have smuggled in other things. Exactly. You know, and just planted them here. And in conversation with some of my um, friends and family about about the, the, you know, the spy museum and all this stuff, we have conversations. I have a lot of historians that are that are family members. One of them is uh, my brother, my father in law. My father in law was talking about how he was even trained uh, because he was a, a contractor. He just since retired. So um, shout out to Mitch, if you're listening in, he was telling me certain things that he had to be trained on to add, um, some buildings into the Griffiths, uh, air force base. Right. 
And some of the things he was trained on is that, that there's technology that you can actually use steel rebar inside of concrete as radio antenna. So there's all sorts of tactics that beyond our civilian know-how um, are readily available, not only in 2023, but my gosh, we're talking 70, 80 and years ago. And that's what blows my mind. Unbelievable. Yeah. So they call this thing, the thing. Okay. Okay. It's a so-called resonant cavity microphone. It consists once again of a resonant cavity. So it's, you know, an open cavity in the back of this, this wooden object. And it's combined with a condenser microphone, according to the crypto museum. It's uh, a passive cavity resonator. So it has no power source, but it has the ability to vibrate. And of course, as I'm speaking to you right now, the sound waves of my voice are bouncing off the walls, the microphone, the microphone's picking it up. It's got a power source. It's even vibrating off the windows very, very faintly, right? So theoretically, you could pick up those vibrations and kind of conjure it down and condense it into my voice mm. and figure out what I'm saying from outside the building. All right. There is a way to do that. And you can, you can explain that to me and you just laid out how that works, but my mind just doesn't work in a way where I can conceptualize the science behind it. Well, I'm about to do you know what I mean? I'm one of those people who are, it's like, yeah, I can, I can understand if you explain how a plane gets off the ground, <laughs> but at the same time, that's a pretty big object. I, I, get, I, I see I that. I see that cruise ship yeah. floating, <laughs> yeah. but it's millions of tons. There's no way that right. that's physically Come possible. On. I get it. Um, I'm about to confuse you further. Okay, great. <laughs> this passive cavity resonator is only activated. So it, it's not, no one would be able to pick it up. Mm -hmm unless there's a radio beam pointed at it from a van outside. Oh, okay. You have to All point right. a radio beam at this very object in order to activate the vibrations. In order to activate and also maintain. Correct. So this goes from, Hey, we gave you something, you know, you, you, put it in your office. It's not working for us essentially too. Hey, there's somebody in your country. Correct. Who's working for us? Okay. And it, listen, the brilliance behind this is 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 unbelievable yeah. because if if I'm doing a sweep, I'm I'm looking for bugs, mm -hmm. power sources, that kind of thing. It's never going to come up on on any sort of sweep because there's no active uh, power source, and it's only activated when there's a radio beam pointed directly at it. Okay. So if I'm someone from the outside, and uh, listen, I I know they're about to be sweeping. I'm not going to point the radio right. Beam at exactly. It. So it, no one's to the wiser. And how okay. many times does that happen? Correct. Unless you pick up this random signal. Bingo. You're okay. on to something. Okay. So here's how it works. When people speak, sound waves enter through the holes under the eagle's beak of the wooden crevice, mm. of the wooden seal. Okay. These vibrate uh, a membrane that modulate the radio beam. It modulates the radio beam in a way that it bounces back as an audio signal to the people listening in the van. I mean, you want to talk about movie. That, yeah. that is a movie. I think of uh, some of the movies that were out in the, the you know, late 90s, early 2000s that, you know, you have, you have people listening in in bands and stuff. Oh, my gosh. And Enemy of the State is one of the first things I think right, of right. with well, Will Smith and, and Gene I, Hackman. I also think, you know, one of the things they highlighted during the Spy Museum was James Bond. You know, yes. they had his car yeah. and they had some of those things from the movie and the movies really weren't that far off. Uh, I'm wondering, even, you know, maybe those movies were using technology, you know, they either got from the Bond movies or vice versa. Exactly. So. So at the time of the discovery, there was a plaster of Paris uh, ring around the edge of the seal, which would join the front and the back, making it look like a solid piece of wood. Absolutely brilliant. And it, was, it wasn't it was until the detection, which we'll talk about a little later, 
of this clandestine device that uh, the ring was broken off and revealed the seal uh, was made in two pieces and it designed to conceal the technical listening equipment inside. Okay. Now, I think to do this justice, I, I, I was toying around with the idea of just kind of putting this all together in my own words, but there's an author by the name of Mark Nixon. He does an incredible job of describing the events that took place to reveal the spy device in an, in an article called The Thing and I. So I'm going to read directly from this thing. And, you know, we could break this up a little bit and, and talk about it. But I'm going to read directly from this. So one of the people um, that was involved in sweeping uh, was, was a guy by the name of Joseph. And I hope I pronounced this name right. I've looked up a bunch of times and there's multiple pronunciations. So bear with me. Bejan, I'm going to say. Uh, he recalls sweeping the room, all right? He was in charge of, of security surveillance. He goes in to sweep the room to see if he can figure out where this listening device is because, like you said, there is proof that someone's listening. So he says, uh, Joseph Bajan, uh, his recollection begins in the fall of 1951 when an American Signal Corps officer acting on a tip was conducting security monitoring activities on the third floor of the U.S. Chancery. He intercepted a conversation from within the office of the U.S. ambassador, okay? Immediately upon being sent to the ambassador's office, the officer's assistant was dispatched to walk throughout the ambassador's office saying, this is the north corner, this is the east corner, this is the south corner. The signal quickly disappeared. And within a few weeks, DOS technical security personnel had conducted a further search for unwanted transmitters, literally taking the room apart, but failing to discover any devices. So it goes back to the point. If the radio transmitter is not being pointed at it, it's not functional and you will never be able to detect it. Arriving in Moscow in September 1952, Bejan conducted a second complete uh, survey or sweep of the Chancery. He apparently had concluded that another target for Soviet exploitation might be the ambassador's residence, the Spaso House. At this point, he began phase two. Quote, with the, uh, with the consent of the ambassador, George Kennan, who is now uh, the new ambassador, Bejan moved from his apartment into the Spaso house, presumably as a guest of the ambassador. Mm. Because listen, if you're part of security, right, and you go in, it's going to look like you know you're you're doing a security suite. But no, 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 he's just a guest. Okay. After three days, quote, as a house guest, he launched a plan with the ambassador with the intent of flushing out the existence existence of any listening devices in accordance with the plan. A man by the name of Sam Janey covertly delivered Bejan's technical survey equipment to the residence, using his weekly meeting with the ambassador as a cover. Upon Janey's arrival for the meeting, the gear was immediately secured in a safe and, quote, the combination to which had been changed the previous evening by Bejan himself. With the means of detection in place, all that was missing was the bait. And we'll get to that after the break. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter podcast. We're talking spies today with Phil Schaff. Phil, I did a little research while you were laying out uh, your story for the listener. Listen to this. CNN uh, did a report several years ago, not too long ago, uh, that quote said, spies are living among us. Hmm. In the United States alone, one expert estimated that there are about 100,000 100, foreign agents working for at least 60 to 80 nations, all spying on America. That's back in 2016. So, you know, if I were to dig a little bit deeper, I wonder if that number has gone up or has gone down. I, I doubt it has gone down. And are those the numbers that we know about? Right. I mean, that's 100,000. Say that's you're insane. off 
you know, by 20,000, that's still 80,000. But, yeah. you know, Phil, you think of spying, spying's, you know, as old as time, it seems. Right. You, whenever you have warring factions or groups that are opposing one another, you probably have espionage being conducted. But, you know, what you're talking about, espionage during the Cold War mm-hmm. was at an all-time high. Yes. And it's, it's comparable to what we talk about with the space race in that it's science, it's technology. Without that, spying becomes a little bit more cumbersome and difficult. The creativity here that the USSR was using against us is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like, kind of like, wow, kudos to you. That's impressive <laughs> that you and had the technology to go to these lengths. You you had the technology and then you had to you had to think on your feet because there, there's a twist to some of this, too, because as they start sweeping the room, mm-hmm. um, you know, we ended the, the first segment with, hey, we got to have the bait. Well, right. you got to you, you got to make it appear as if there is something that's about to be there's a meeting about to be taken place. Mm-hmm. Remember, the space house is a very important uh, residence within Moscow. So I think the assumption should have been from the United States perspective. It's not if it's when it's right. it's not. Hey, we got to we got to maybe sweep the room to see if there's bugs. No, no, no. We we're going to pretend that there's already a uh, hundred of them already in here. So I think that's that that was the weakness at the beginning of the Cold War, which I think after that now um we take you know, I mean, there, there were buildings that were built uh as as uh embassies in moscow that were completely torn down because the united states government says whoa, whoa, whoa i don't like the way that's designed yeah. we're going to use our own people to build our own embassy because of you know the the inner workings of the foundation and so forth and so, you know in, at least in the case of of your story for us for today the technology is only one half of it you still have the correct. human element of what's the story what's the 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 manner in which we're going to get this technology into the United States, make sure it's working and then transfer information yes. back to Moscow. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little bit, a little bit more to the story, um, you know, taken directly from uh, the thing and I, that article that I was mentioning earlier before break. So remember the bait. So how do we, how do we, you know, bring the, the Soviets into um, luring them into, to listening in. So later that evening, evening, excuse me, Janie returned to the residence under the ruse of a social visit with Baijan. After dinner, the two men adjourned to the blue room on the first floor of the residence, as Bejan would later recall, enjoyed a taste of the ambassador's cognac as they awaited the arrival of the ambassador's secretary. By prearrangement with Kennan, Ambassador Kennan, the secretary was soon summoned to Spaceo House to take dictation of a, quote, classified memo for Kennan. Of hmm. course, we know on the other end of history here, it certainly wasn't classified. That was the bait. Thus, the Soviets were lured into the trap that would reveal the existence of the thing. All right. So the story goes, they dictate this classified uh, communication in the library of the Spaceo House, and sure enough, they're, they're picking up very strong signals. Now, Bejan, once again, thinking on his feet, he realized that now that there's, he's starting the sweep, if he shows, him, if he shows himself um, sweeping the room, the people outside the van, if they're watching in and listening, right. they're going to know. They're going to know. So what he ends up doing is he ends up scribbling a note uh, to Janie and informing him to continue dictating the phony message. Like, hey, keep it going, keep it going. Uh, and of course, eventually they're gonna sweep the room and the signal was coming, the likely source anyway, the signal was coming from the carving of the great seal and then you know, all bets were off. So, I, I mean, just to close this up, the complex design of this thing is, is amazing. It gave it a limitless, limitless lifespan. It seemed undetectable, except while activated, of course, the Truman administration 
kept the device's discovery a closely guarded secret. And it stayed that way until a pretty serious confrontation between the U.S. and Soviets, which was the 1960 shootdown of the American U-2 spy plane over Russia. That's when things started going a little uh, a little crazy. The United Nations Security Council convened to address the Soviet complaints of U.S. spy flights. On May 26, 1960, after three days of accusations against the U.S. for espionage tactics, that's when U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., held up the seal for the full council to see an example. He said that the Soviets had their own long history of spying. And, quote, this record makes it particularly unsuitable for the Soviet Union to adopt a holier-than-thou attitude and to criticize others. So it was kept in secret for a long time until the Soviets said, hey, you've been spying on us. And uh, that's when we reveal our cards and say, oh, no, no. You've been spying on us for way longer than we've been spying on you. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.